Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as almost always on Late in the Week, by my producer, Hemel Javeri. Hemel, how are you? Hey, Ted. How are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm doing well. I have a question. We're going to take some questions, and we've got a bunch. But before we do... I want to ask you a question specific to podcasting because uh, I believe, uh, based on our conversation right before the show, that you were trying to podcast with a blanket over your head. (laughs) I was because I read an article about uh, audio, like how to make audio sound good when you are podcasting, and one of them, one of the tips was that you should like put a blanket over your head to muffle the echo. <laughs> but you don't seem to agree with that. Well, it was awful. It sounded hard, like because the blanket just kept scratching against the microphone, and it sounded like you were like pushing furniture around while talking to me. <laughs> but beyond that, I want to know. My question is because I think this pertains to everyone. When you're doing something like that, are you are you at home alone right now? I am at home alone so, right now. When you're home alone doing something that looks ridiculous, do you feel at all self-conscious about the fact that you probably look really dumb? And if anyone like could see into whatever room in your apartment you're in and see that you're just sitting there trying to talk on the computer <laughs> with a blanket over the head, how how dumb you would look? Yeah, I felt... It wasn't even about feeling self-conscious. I just felt stupid. I was like, I know I'm home alone and no one can see me, but I still feel like an idiot with a blanket over my head. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I am the same way. Like, I feel like if I'm... uh, There's just the, like, occasional points where I'm doing something, and again, no one can see me, and I'm just like, this probably looks ridiculous. Or, uh, Or I'll just start singing songs that would be really embarrassing if anyone were hearing me sing them. Because they're in my head or whatever, and so yeah, so I'm definitely uh, hyper aware. I think part of that is that I live in New York City on top of like 50 other people, you know, so like there's a pretty good chance they are hearing me sing whatever like show tune I'm singing or something, but uh, I think a lot of it is also just like pure self-consciousness, like, oh well, this is a losery thing to be doing that I'm doing right now, and if like anyone were spying on me and this were being recorded, it wouldn't be like a scandal, it would just be super embarrassing. I feel I feel that way when I'm like cleaning my house and like stuff comes on Spotify that if if anybody knew I was listening to it I would be mortified. Well, we, and, uh, yeah. while you were gone, actually, Nina and I talked about this because I was I was <laughs> listening to TLC's Waterfalls on Spotify, <laughs> which I maintain as a jam. And it's a great song. I love that. I song. and I have recently become uh, very like fixed upon because I noticed. It came on the radio, and I noticed how cool the bass part is. It's got this really weird sort of slippery, uh, I think improvised bass part that is great. And so I was actually, I will maintain, conceiving a For the Win post about session players who performed, you know, excellently on various classic jams. And that's why I was listening to it. But our mutual boss noticed on Spotify, because I, I didn't realize that I hadn't turned off the Spotify setting where people can... Oh, my God. Um, and so our our boss noticed and brought it up in our Slack room, and that was a little humiliating for me, though I maintain uh, no shame about that particular song. But what, what was really bothering me was thinking back to everything else I may have listened to that might be embarrassing over the course of, like, however long I've been using Spotify, which is a, a while now. And, yeah. And so there's a yeah, lot of stuff that comes through. Go ahead. Yeah. No, that's it. There's just a lot of things that I've listened to that might be considered embarrassing. You know, the uh, Howard Jones' Everlasting Love. There's just, like, some. a lot of times for me, it's like I'm trying to figure out, like, a very, like, I, f- I hear a song, and I think, like, that would be a funny song to know how to cover on the acoustic guitar. And so then I will listen to that song, like, 40 times as I try to, like, plunk it out on the guitar. Mm-hmm. And so then someone is like, why did Ted listen to Like a Prayer 35 times yesterday? I think, first of all, I think it's bad form. Like, it's, it's like, really, really bad form to call somebody out for their Spotify choices. Like, we all have, you know what I mean, those Spotify songs. He, wasn't, you... he wasn't calling me out. He was just like, looks like Ted's getting down over here. And, like, and screen grab that I was listening to TLC's Waterfalls. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I'm not really sure that that is the best way. I, I feel like, I mean, knowing knowing our, our boss, uh, that seems like something that he would do. And I don't think I don't think he intended to shame me, but no, 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 I don't think he intended as like especially I don't know I forget when TLC's I I feel like that song came out while I was in high school and it was one of those songs where it just it got played so many freaking times that you just started hating it and it was like that song's lame I never want to hear it again and so there was a long time when I never heard TLC's Waterfalls and it was only like a few months ago when it came on Sirius XM Fly uh, that that I was like hey this song is actually in fact fairly fly. I think uh, you're, you're trying to, you know, have a, have a pretty good reason for why you've listened to, like, stuff multiple times. Like, oh, there's a reason that I want to listen to this because as a musician, like, this is, you know, because I want to learn how to cover it. Because I'm or ashamed. Because I'm ashamed. Because you're ashamed, exactly. There is no shame in just saying, damn, this is a good song, and I'm going to listen to Madonna's Like a Prayer. 38 times in a row. Well, yeah, yeah. It's just that, at, I don't know, at some point, like, that. this has actually been a, a, a fixation of mine for a long time. Like, I always think about, it wouldn't be my A number one superpower if I could have a superpower, but I would love the superpower of being able to know what everyone is listening to on the subway. <laughs> and that is because a lot of times I feel like I'm listening to something that someone might not expect of me based on, you know, what I look like and, and what subway I'm taking. And I have noticed, like, I, I in when I used to commute from Westchester, the there'd be quieter times on the trains, mm-hmm. and you could sort of hear what people were listening to. And sometimes mm-hmm. it would be like this, like, middle-aged businesswoman I am almost certain is listening to Slayer right now and (laughs) that's awesome like I want to know every time that happens so then I could talk to the people who have particularly interesting and I think unexpected tastes in music I think that actually applies to a lot of people uh I don't know what you would think of my musical tastes like you know me pretty well you like uh, I mean I feel like you're into like sort of like the singer songwriter genre but like good not like I would say based on what I know you have pretty good taste in music it probably sways toward like the lighter side of things I would mm-hmm. listen to but mm-hmm. I don't know I I feel like every time you talk about like you're you're into you're into at least credible music I, I think so. Like I like to think that I have good taste uh, into credible music, as you call it. But I feel like every now and then I'll I'll listen to something that I mean it might not be Slayer, but there's probably like a obscene amount of like Metallica on my playlist, which I don't think people would expect. No, that is not what I would expect. But you yeah. know, sometimes you need to. Well, a classic example. Uh, there was when I when I worked in the deli, there was a bookstore right next door, and the woman who owned the bookstore was a fer- perfectly pleasant, uh, fairly like uh, just sort of she was like an she looked like a, a bookstore owner, I guess. There's yeah. no other way. She was like a little bit nerdy. Um, I found her attractive. I was you know 20. She was a little bit older, whatever. Um, and she came in the deli all the time. And one time on my ride home. It was on the radio, and uh, and she was, I could see her in the car next to me, and it was uh, Rage Against the Machine's Killing in the Name of, yeah. the part where he just starts repeating a, a phrase I can't say uh, on air, um, F you, I won't do what you tell me, and she was like going at it in her car, singing along with that, and it was just like, that is, now I, like, that has just flipped me from like, this lady from the bookstore is pretty cool, to like, I am madly in love with this woman. <laughs> I think that's awesome, and that's that's exa- I think that happens with a lot of people. You gotta you gotta have at least something to, yeah. especially like to like get angry about and be able to like unleash that anger. Well, let's unleash the anger on some of the questions we've got from from the internet, from our colleagues, from Twitter, from wherever. Uh, and one of them, the first question I should say, was about our iTunes feed, which we are currently struggling with and working mm-hmm. on figuring out. There's uh, not really a lot more to add on that one, other than I hope that we're on iTunes again soon. Uh, this show is still there, it's just not updating right now, and we are certainly trying to figure it out. I, I don't, I can't promise, uh, I mean, you would know better than I uh, do when that's c- coming, but... Uh, uh, hopefully soon, but if anybody is listening on SoundCloud 
and has knowledge about RSS feeds, please <laughs> DM me on Twitter because yeah. I could use some help. <laughs> uh, we're working on it. We, you know, we we're come from the it. we come from the editorial side, not necessarily the production side. So, next question, real question, comes from our colleague Maggie Hendricks. She wants to know if we will help her move this weekend, and I am going to say no. Uh, I'm also, well, I'm going to be maybe, because if she's going to pay for me, Maggie lives in Chicago. If she wants to pay for me to, like, fly out to Chicago and hang for a couple of days, I will happily help her move. I don't want to, I mean, I like Maggie, I like Chicago, it would be fun to <laughs> hang out, but I don't want to help anyone move. I just moved, <laughs> I just moved last summer, it's awful. Moving is, like, the most stressful, awful process. I think that now I am now going to live in this apartment for the rest of my life, so I never have to move again. <laughs> When we moved from, when I moved out of my mom and dad's house and into a townhouse that's not that far from them, uh, I think I stretched out the moving process for like eight months because I would just take like little bunches of stuff for like from my old house to my new house. I highly recommend that. That's yeah. Actually, it was not bad at all. We had, we had like a week and so, and, and we were moving right next door. So it wasn't so bad because it was just a matter of like, putting all the stuff in big plastic garbage bags and taking it down four flights of stairs. But I went down and up the four flights of stairs like a thousand times over the course oh. of a week. And, and so great workout, but not, not a fun activity. And no, then, I think and moving in New York is definitely more difficult than the suburbs. For sure, for sure. Um, all right, let's go on. This is from our man Dennis Has a Podcast, who frequently supplies the, uh, the questions as a, <laughs> as a podcast host knows the deal and, and knows that we need them uh, and listens. So shout out to Dennis. Uh, he says, I hit a hole in one once. I caught a home run, but no one cares. What's something you've done that's awesome that when you talk about it, no one else seems to care about? I feel like this is basically the story of my life is do <laughs> doing awesome things that no one else seems to care about. So I wouldn't even know where to start. Do you have anything? Oh, God, that's a really good question. Um, because I think, well, he's picked really good examples of, like, I hit a hole-in-one and I did this awesome thing. Um... I will say the most recent example is that, as we know, we've talked about I'm, I'm a yogi. I like to do yoga. I have finally managed, and this hasn't, you know, this has taken me, like, years to do, but I finally managed to hold crow pose for longer than, like, a split second. Um, I think I would say the last time I did it, I was, you know, I able, was able to hold crow for like three or four seconds, which is not a long time, but for me is like a huge breakthrough. I, and just, I can crow, tell you. I just want to say crow pose sounds like uh, when I hear that, I'm like, that's not that impressive crow pose. And then so I went to Google and I, I looked up crow pose. That is incredibly, that, how does it, I don't even know you. It's so, so basically it means being, holding your entire body weight up on your hands while yeah. your, while your knees are sort of tucked in right behind your elbows. Yeah. Uh, like. And your and everything else except your hands is like up off the ground. It looks extremely hard. So this is the thing is that some yoga you know some yoga people can do it very easily and hold it for a very long amount of time. But I have finally been able to do it just for like three or four seconds, and I can tell you that no one cares. <laughs> Everyone is just like, oh whatever. I've been you know, it is uh it is frustrating, but I such is life. I care. I care. That's impressive. I can't. Good. There. I don't know that. I don't know that I will ever in my life be able to do something that requires. I just. That just looks like a lot. That looks hard. Um, <laughs> I can say. So I've got a few. I uh, one time bowled a 190, which is my personal best. Obviously, no one cares about that. I feel like you need to break 200. Not a great bowler. I feel like also if you're too good at bowling, that then makes you suspicious. So if you're like regularly breaking 200, I don't want to hear about your bowling game. I feel like it needs context to understand that like I'm just a regular guy trying to throw the ball as hard as I can down the middle, and I bowled a 190. So that is, uh, to me, a very impressive feat. I did catch a foul ball at a baseball game while I was working one time. Uh, it was I was uh, it was when I was a, a vendor at Shea Stadium. A ball, That's pretty cool. Yeah, a ball bounced off. I barehanded it too. I was and and I'm a terrible defensive player in baseball, so it was a a very lucky play for me. It just kind of bounced off. It was at Shea Stadium, so it, it sort of 
of bounced off the the middle deck uh, where the press boxes and the luxury suites were, bounced off the face of that while I was selling soda in the loge section, and it kind of fell right into my hand. Uh, and so that was cool. Um, I have my or set my high school squat record, which is oh something I would say that that's probably it for like thing that I still think is awesome that no one cares about. No one cares that in high school I had like freakishly strong legs and Wait, could squat a lot. Let me let me back this up a second. Um, do you go back to your high school and just check to make sure you still hold that record? No, it's gone. It's gone. So that's the worst part about it is oh, okay. that they took it off. The, so what happened was I did it before football practice, and it was like the begin the start of my senior year. I had spent my brother had the record before me because it's like a family weird family glitch that we just have freakishly strong legs. Um, so my brother had the record before me, and it always sort of like taunted me about never gonna like that. We were very competitive, so he would always hold that over me. So I for, spent the entire summer really just like prepping to break this record uh and then like the the day before there were the first day of football practice which was when we were doing our like you you do at the beginning of football you do like your measurements of of your bench press and your 40 and your mile and all the different the things uh i don't really in retrospect know why like it wasn't like we were all like being heavily recruited to high schools or the 40 yard dash were exact measurements or anything like that it was just like something the coaches wanted to know i guess maybe to see how hard you worked over the offseason or how strong you were whatever um i i broke the record it was i squatted 605 pounds which is terrifying wow. now um and the way we did it was it was like um and this was how they did the records at our at our school. It wasn't actually me squatting 605 pounds on the bar. It was 450 pounds like 13 or 14 times or something because they had a chart to project out because they didn't want high school kids squatting, trying to squat 605 pounds at the time. But dying, yeah. Right. So <clears throat> I broke the record and then we went out to like jog around the track and my legs just cramped up and I fell right down. And so the coaches were like, and the coach realized and this is probably like a 20-year-old thing by now. And they said, well, like, hey, it's really stupid that we're making high school kids try to break these stupid weightlifting records. So they yeah. took the records down. So, <laughs> so I never actually got my name on the plaque or anything, and it still kind of stings. Well, at least you know you kind of still hold it. Well, I yeah, mean, that was the thing, because there, yeah. there was a kid who was a freshman my senior year who was clearly going to break the record. And yeah. so they took it down in time for me to be perpetually the record holder at the high school? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, yeah, that is a good question. I mean, everything, I, I feel, again, like, I feel like my entire life is examples of things I thought were super cool that everybody else is like, ah, it's all right. You um, know, this happens when my sister cooks a lot, and she's a great cook, and, you know, she tries really hard, and but she'll always come at me with, like, well, don't you think this white sauce is amazing? And I'm like, uh, it just tastes like cheese, and it's good. So she does that all the time. Like, she thinks that, like, you know, she's got cooking examples of things that she's done that are awesome that I feel bad because not only can I not tell the difference, but I don't care that much. <laughs> right. I, I have that for sure. Like, I feel like I have... I feel like I have, uh, you know, I, I barbecue a lot. I feel like I have got pork ribs, baby back ribs, or spare ribs, like, down to the level where it's not like I could be entering these barbecue competitions and winning. But if you, if, if you went to a barbecue restaurant and got ribs, and the ribs that I produced came out, you would have no idea that they weren't from a professional barbecue place, and you would probably say these are good ribs. And so for me, that's like an accomplishment, that I can now prepare ribs that way. It's extremely easy, but, uh, <laughs> but I feel really good about that. And I feel like because people aren't really often eating barbecue at other people's houses, they are expecting that restaurant standard, and so they're just, I'm just meeting that. But it took me kind of a while to get there. Yeah, that's a good good example. Uh, all right, let's go on. Uh, next one uh, comes from at Jeans Murphy on Twitter, and it's Liam Murphy, and he says, and this one may be for you. Oh, my God, please. <coughs> Sorry. What is it? Thoughts on the Expanse. Oh. It's bleak. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so is he... What is he actually talking about? 
Is I'd, he talking about on just like the general void that is the universe? Yeah, or... I think so. I think I think it's I think it's a dark question. <clears throat> I or I know endless. that there's, I know that there is a sci-fi. There's like a show on TV called The Expanse. Oh, so I don't maybe know. that's what he means. <laughs> so I don't know if he like wants to talk about that TV show that I haven't seen, but people tell me is good. <laughs> in which case, I'll check it out. Uh, if he's talking about the general void in the universe, uh, I will say that I'm very excited about NASA's recent discovery on, you know, the seven Earth-like planets that they just found. So maybe the expanse is not as bleak as we once thought. What do you think about that, uh, the seven planets? I feel so, like, the, the big thing that got me about that article was that it's only 40 light years away, right? Yeah. Which yeah. I get <clears throat> that that is inconceivably far but also by the standards of space just doesn't seem that far to me. Like, I don't know. I don't think we can get, we can even approach the speed of light in terms of how fast we're traveling in space. But like, can you get, I, I don't really, and like, this is just purely uninformed. Can you get to half of that? And can you send like a colony of people so that there will be like a new generation born in space and bred in space who is ready to colonize these planets in like 80 years? I doubt yeah. it. I don't think that that's something that's going to happen, but I feel like the only shot that, for me, I mean, probably I have no shot whatsoever of ever seeing that happen, and I'm not going. I'm not going, obviously. Oh, I can't wait to go, dude. Um, oh, you want to, but you're not going to make it. You're, no offense, right? Like, we're too old. We're not going to, you're not going to, we're not going to make it. We would just be the people in the generation that lives on the space colony floating thing to get the next generation to live on these planets. We're not even going to get to those planets. I mean, that's okay with me. I, I First of all, I haven't counted out kind of... Um, <clears throat> I haven't seen that movie, Passengers, but it was like an inner cellar where they can put you in some kind of deep free sleep or something and then just cryogenically wake you up once you get there. So... Uh, yeah. I mean, one, that's an option. Um, I don't know that... So the, I feel like that's an option in sci-fi movies. I don't yeah, know that I've really well, ever heard of that as a thing. That was a, like uh, the TV show Life on Ma Mars that was the premise as well, that they were like woken from a cryogenic sleep or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so fine, that's fine. That'll be like way out there sci-fi. And your option is obviously much more realistic. So we probably will only be the generation that's there to like breed the generation that gets to like live on the actual colony. I'm okay with that. So you're, I am... you're cool with just being like a, a part of a weird genetic like reproduction experiment. I am okay with that. I think that I think that it would be worth it just because I think living on a space colony or like living in a spaceship would be really cool. Um, what if the people sucked though? I you right? know that you're like confining yourself to like what like two hundred. How many people are you gonna really like? feasibly put on the space colony. So again, can you send 200 people to the space colony? And if so, like how, I don't know, I just feel like it, what if, what if they suck? I mean, okay, so that is obviously a big deal. Like what if they do suck? But obviously if they suck, I don't want to go. Um, but I've also watched way too many uh, sci-fi shows like Firefly and Star Trek where, I don't know, that might not be terrible. Like, if you had a small group of people that you were like, all right, these people are actually super cool and chill, I generally don't like people anyway, so I'm okay limiting my social circle to, like, 150 people. That would be fine with me. Okay. Um, um, yeah. But the you other would have about, to interview them first, right? Oh, my God. I feel like there has to be a lot of, like, you'd have to go do, like, all the, the group building exercises to make sure that there wasn't just, like, a couple of total losers in the bunch that you needed to weed out right away. Yeah, and I think there yeah. probably would be. Yeah. Um, I, so I, my, my point was just, like, I want, if that's going to happen, I need for that to happen now because it's the only shot of me finding out what happens when we get there in my lifetime, right? It needs to happen yeah. now. I don't really care if it happens 80 years down the road. I'm not going to be here to see it. So I want to know by, like, the time I turn 110 that people have just gotten to this new colony of 
planets which might not even have uh, like uh, oxygen in their atmospheres and like there's a pretty good chance it feels like you get there and you're like oh no it's methane and then you can't live <laughs> right well so, i mean i hope they would figure that stuff out before they sent a spaceship full of no people i don't there. have i don't have time for that i don't have time um, for that just send just send them out and if it doesn't work out uh, i don't know turn around and then have a whole new group of people like 160 years later get back to earth like oh what happened here and they're like oh no it still sucks <laughs> so I think, but the other interesting thing about this discovery that NASA is like super hype about is that it is, you know, could have water, which means that it could actually have alien life. Um, so I would say like probably a year ago, two years ago, I went out on a date with this dude who is, was a scientist at uh, Goddard Space Center in Maryland. And he's, his entire job was to look for like, to look for like aliens. Um, and he was really adamant and, and not in like the little green men kind of way, but very much like, you know, there will be a planet that we will find that will have water, which will be capable of just like sustaining life. Like not that we're going to find aliens like you see in the movies, um, but alien life forms. He was utterly convinced that just because of like the massive scope of everything out there, that there were like, that there were so many planets capable of supporting life that life already had to be starting. So it, I feel like he was right. <laughs> I, oh, I'm 100% on. I agree with that. Like, if you think yeah. just in our, just in each individual galaxy, there are um, an impossibly high number of stars, stars, stars we will never be able to count. Mm -hmm. And then there are, we don't even know how many other galaxies there are, right? So somewhere right. out there, like, how, it just seems extremely presumptuous and, like, geocentric to think like no this is the only time this has ever happened there's been like a 30 trillion planets out there and like right. it only life only worked out one time come on <laughs> like there's no way there's no way so that that was really his point he's like the numbers just don't add up he's yeah. like the numbers would su suggest that but he was certain that within like 10 15 years we were going to find a planet that had like microbial life already living on it yeah, so, I mean, that's... I think he's right. I, I mean, he... I would defer to the scientist on that, but I just want to say I agree. <laughs> yeah, I was like, he made a very solid case. Right. But we only went out twice, so unfortunately, we'll never figure that out. <laughs> um, all right, fair enough. <laughs> um, outside of the science part, just not interesting enough, I guess. Um, I mean, he, was, he just lived too far away. He just... He was, like, in Maryland, and it was, like, a 90-minute drive. Well, yeah, and, and, I mean, you guys are talking about the scale of, like, the entire universe, and you're like, ah, no, Maryland! <laughs> um, well, it's really far. Anyway. Uh, right, next dri driving, in, driving in that area, forget about it. Okay, this is, okay. Uh, this is from Griffin Gold, who's at Griffin Gold underscore, and he says there's a pl big debate going on in his office right now. Uh, which child? This is a, like a, 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 I don't know that either of us is qualified to answer this. Which child has the most pressure to be like their parents? I guess he means in order of, like, birth, I suppose. Well, what do you, what, I mean... Is he more specific? Like, which no, child... Like, he oh. says, I wonder what the debate is like in his office. It just says, which child has the most pressure to be like their parents? Uh, like, so I, if you're talking about, like, siblings. Yeah, yeah, like siblings. Like, so I would say, in my house, and I, this is no state secret for us, like, my brother, as the, my older brother, as the first child, was clearly under the most pressure. I don't think that he was under pressure to be like my parents. I think he was under pressure to be what my parents hoped for in their kid, right? And so, right. like, and, and I, I was the youngest of three, and my parents will happily admit this. They, they invested so much in, like, my brother, my mom's friend's kids had both gone to Yale, and they both played the clarinet. And so my mom started my brother playing the clarinet, even though he had no real interest in playing the clarinet, just because she like that she was like, well, this is the path to to, to going, Yale, going yeah. to Yale, to going to great yeah. college. My brother, as it turned out, was completely brilliant and and a terrible clarinet player, but uh, <laughs> wound up wound up going to MIT. Like it it worked out. 
um, in terms of like the the pressure he was under. But mm-hmm. by the time I came through, in terms of high school and middle school, and I was, it wasn't like I was like the the black sheep or anything. I was still a fairly good kid doing a lot of activities and such. Mm-hmm. But there was just so much less pressure on me in terms of you know academics and whatever else I might be doing. I I think I agree with you. Um... Wait, so what is the, what's the age difference between you and your oldest brother? So he was eight years older than me. Okay, so he's, he was a decent chunk older. My sister and I are only about 19 months apart, a little less than two years. And I'd agree with you because I definitely think the older child has a lot more pressure to be like, I don't even, like, I think to be not even like their parents, but like you said, just more pressure overall to be like a better person (laughs) because, and even, and it wasn't even like, you know, there's no, we don't have, there's no, there's nobody else. It's just me and my sister. Mm -hmm. And even in like that 19 month span, I could say that being the youngest, there was a heck of a lot less pressure. Like they tried a bunch of stuff on my sister and she's much more responsible and she's very much the like taken over like the matriarch role for for our family. Um, and I don't have any of that pressure. Like it, and it was never it never trickled down to me. I think part of it just might be that I was a rebellious kid and never wanted it. Um, so yeah, I would agree with you. I definitely think it's the older child. Yeah, and I would say like it, it was in my family. So we have a, I have my older sister is four years older than me. She was right in the middle. I would say it was like a little bit less per per kid, and mm-hmm. that my brother and my sister just for for being like the high school age when you get like for most of my childhood now, like starting when I'm seven years old one of my siblings is a teenager and teenagers are just pains in their parents butts. so like i was able to sort of fly under the radar by just by my sister and my brother being Mm -hmm. sort of just like every other loud obnoxious teenager and then by the time i got to that point i think that my parents they obviously cared for me a ton it wasn't like but they were just less likely to be super upset over whatever went wrong I feel, you know, my sisters left for college, like, right around my junior year, so my junior and senior year were totally chill. I remember that they were just so hyper-protective uh, while she was still in high school, and we couldn't, like, we had all these restrictions, like, we couldn't go out after dark, or we couldn't go out with boys, like, it was just insane, and then, like, the second she went to college, it was, like, none of that mattered, and I got to do whatever I wanted. <laughs> That is dope. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty dope. And so, and I think that actually worked out, like, my brother, when he went to college, he did a lot more partying and did, like, I think he went a little bit further out than I did because Mm -hmm. I got some of that out in high school. Whereas for him, it was like he was, like, on the straight and narrow until the day he got to college. And then he got to college and was like, freedom! And he sort of, like, and again, like, you know, did fine, graduated everything. But I think that it was just a different... Uh, the different experience growing up just made for different reactions once we got there. And, and again, like, that's not too... My parents would say exactly the same thing. No, I agree with that. I think that's that's fair. Um, the only other scenario I could see would be that if the older children turned out to be just like a complete waste, then all that pressure gets put on the youngest. That, so, yeah. So had your brother you know, not gone to MIT and your sister had maybe dropped out or whatever, you might have faced a lot more pressure. That is certainly true. So, I, yeah, I, uh, respect to my older siblings for, like, <laughs> being pretty good at it and, and taking a lot of that on. I mean, yeah. and with my sister, I think, like, even to this day, she lives closer to my parents, and so, like, a lot of the things that my parents need, she is she's just taken care of, and I don't get yeah. in on. So I appreciate that, too. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports the For the Win podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust who has your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. 
Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com FTW. That's quickenloans.com FTW. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. We got a couple more. We got, oh, this is a good one from our man Charles, a uh, mm -hmm. colleague and former podcast guest. He wants to know, and I think this has a, a significance to both of us, uh, mm -hmm. he wants to know, why are we still watching The Walking Dead even though it's clearly Jump the Shark? And then he adds, and yes, I'm aware Jump the Shark, Jump the Shark, the phrase Jump the Shark, he means Jump the Shark like 20 years ago. I kind of want to tackle both halves of this. But first and foremost, The Walking Dead, which I actually haven't seen the last couple of episodes just because I was traveling, but I've got them DVR'd. I'm totally going to watch it. I don't think the show is very good anymore. I haven't thought it was good for like a year and a half. I stopped writing about it. I was writing weekly recaps. And yeah, eventually, I those recaps. Uh, you, you, you filled in on some of those recaps. And mm -hmm. because I think the first, like probably the first hundred conversations you and I had were about The Walking <laughs> Dead. Um, they really were. And so, but I had, I got to the point where I disliked the show so strongly and all of its characters so strongly that I felt like writing the recaps was pointless because who wants to read the recaps of me just whining about a show? People who want to read about the show probably like it, and so, like, there's just no sense in just, like, being a hate parade every week. But that's what it's kind of gotten to. Like, now I'm kind of, it's like cringe-watching it because I feel like it's so bad, like, I've invested enough time in it at this point that I want to find out what happens, right. but part of me also wants to just stew in how bad the show has become. So, this is difficult because the easy answer, like, why am I still watching, is because I'm invested in how it's going to turn out, right? Because as, as terrible as it is, I do want to know what happens to these characters in the end. Uh, my only, like, rebuttal for that is that I started watching The Walking Dead, like I watched the first season when it first aired, and then I stopped midway through the second season because it was just trash, right? It, mm -hmm. it turned into this weird melodrama where they're like on a farm and she's pregnant, and it was just a miserable experience. And at that point, I hadn't really invested too much in it, so I was cap like I dropped it for three years. And then I think around season four or five, everybody was like, no, 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 it's really good, it's really good, you just have to push through the second season. Part of that, so I think that that hope is still there, that we might have just had a couple of terrible seasons, and we might get one really good season. Um, I don't have a lot of hope for it, because the show is just, it's just, you know, it's so popular that they have done, that they just think that they can do whatever they want, and so much of what they're doing is just Bad. It just like, feels just... like a rudderless thing where it's just like, oh, like, how about now they meet a new gang of people who seem like they're good at first and then turn out to be bad and then they have to fight them. And it's just like every season is that happens over and over again. Yeah, the, I mean, it's hard to keep something like this interesting and fresh, I guess, but they could do it by just... So the last two episodes that I watched I think were actually good. They're, they're again, like slow and really indulgent. Um... But they focused on that primary group of characters like Rick and Daryl that we all really like. Um, and those were very watchable and much better than what I've seen in the past. But they spend, The Walking Dead spends all this time on tertiary characters that they're just going to end up killing anyway. So it's just like, so it just doesn't make any sense. Right, now like, it's, you, you start watching an episode and they start showing you this character and you're like, well, this guy's dead. Right, yeah. like this guy is yeah. as good as dead. They're, it's not Rick, and it's not Daryl, and it's not Carl. So yeah. we assume this person is just like I think in in Star Trek they called them red shirts, right? Where yeah. it was just like the people built up to be killed. And <laughs> so I don't know. I guess also part of it to me is wanting to know if there's an end game, like if they have mm -hmm. mapped out how the show ends, and and do they find out why why everybody becomes zombies when they die, and you know do they find a cure for the zombie epidemic? or whatever, and I want to see if they had that planned out, um, because I feel like I... Uh, did you watch Lost? Um, I didn't. Well, I did and I didn't. I watched the first two episodes, I watched, and then something happened with a pole and I stopped watching because it was so dumb. Uh, and I think that was like, 
It was like one or two episodes into the season. So I watched that, and then I watched the last 30 minutes of it, and I felt that's all I needed to know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically... So So I will say that, like, the first four seasons worth of that show probably made me think more than any other show I've ever seen. And I just spent mm -hmm. so much time invested in what was going to happen and what all of these philosophical issues they were contemplating and various things like that. And But it was all under the assumption that there was an explanation for all the stuff that was going on. And what it turned out at the end was they clearly had no plan whatsoever, right? Mm -hmm. It was just like, well, this... And like they, they basically had to start like a whole third timeline and then they explained what happened in this new timeline that they invented for the sixth season. But they never explained, like, all of the stuff that had built the show's mystery for most of its run. And so that was just, like, a tremendous disappointment for me, how that show ended. <laughs> to the point that I was, like, angry about it for several years afterwards well, and, and unable nothing to is gonna be worth. Yeah. Nothing is gonna live up to, to is gonna live up to that hype, right? Like Lost was hugely popular, and they like kept extending this stupid mystery and building on it for years and years and years. No payoff was ever gonna make that worthwhile. I um, I feel like there should be a rule, and I know that this is like typically how they do it uh, on the BBC with with TV shows. There is that oh, yeah. you say. We have five seasons of this show, and we're going to make five seasons because that's how long this story is, or two seasons, or, or 20 episodes, or whatever length it is. Yeah. I feel like to make a TV show, and I get that it will never work this way because of the way the market works, right? If you get, right. If you get Walking Dead-type ratings, they're going to be like, please keep making The Walking Dead until all the ratings disappear, and then you can come up with how to end it, right? But right. I feel like it should be the law that you know exactly. If you're doing a serial sort of television show where things change every week and you have to follow along, the law should be the law <laughs> of the land. Like the FCC should like be like in addition to you can't have these profanities and this explicit content. <laughs> you also need to have a plan in mind for how the show ends. So yeah. you well, but... submit a limit to how long the show's going to be. If you've got five seasons, you're allowed to have five seasons. That's it. I think that goes really culturally to. Definitely Americans just wanting too much of a good thing. Uh, but I mean, so it specifically applies to The Walking Dead, though. It is based on a comic book, so I guess part, you know, it's not really their fault. If their fault, they're, and I know they're jumping around in this comic book timeline, but if the comic book has not ended, then the show really can't end. Uh, yeah, but once you start, once you diff divert, like, once you divert from the straight up, comic book mm -hmm. timeline then your, mm -hmm. your show is your own thing it's just based on that comic book and so sure incorporate characters if the characters are cool or whatever and like throw bones to the people who are into the the graphic novels but I think like it's your show now like make a make an ending I I will say that I will I will ta like I did with Game of Thrones I'm gonna tap out when people I really really like start dying like that to me will be the end because I don't care enough about the new people so Daryl Rick Carl, Michonne, if any of those characters die, I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't need to watch any more of it. I don't really care about anybody else. Um, I'm well, sick so of Carol, so if she dies, I'm okay with it. I feel like, like that's kind of what happened to me and where I stopped was when they, they killed off Glenn and Abraham, who were, like, yeah. two of my favorite characters. Spoiler alert, they kill off Glenn and Abraham. <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's, like, a, it's several months old now. If you're, you're still concerned about spoilers, I apologize. <laughs> uh, people are, like, on, super vigilant about spoilers on I the know. Internet. But whatever, they kill off Glenn and Abraham. Those were two of my favorite characters. That was when I was like, nah, this is dumb. I don't, yeah. You know, like, there's... Those were the people I was rooting for, and I don't really like Rick, and so yeah, so that's when that's when I, I didn't I didn't tap out because I'm still watching it, but that's when I stopped investing in it as like something I I care about. I do. I think I'm a big Daryl person, so I'll kind of watch to see where this goes. Um, but it's so frustrating because they spend so much time on shit that you know, oops, on stuff that you know isn't going to matter. Um. <laughs> Chances we edit that out. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, and I stopped watching Game of Thrones after the Red Wedding. I was, that is 100% tap out time. Don't care. Nothing is going to make that worthwhile. I watched the first episode of Game of Thrones, and I was like, I don't get it. This is just clearly just a soap opera set amongst dragons and stuff with, like, 
uh, unnaturally hot people playing them out uh, in yeah. the middle in whatever fake timeline it is, which was like there wouldn't be all these hot people then. People probably had horrible skin conditions and stuff, and I didn't <laughs> buy it. And, and they're all know. dirty and smelly. It, yeah, it failed to hook me. The uh, Game of Thrones. I know people are way into it. Maybe <laughs> if I were more patient. I would watch it, but now I don't have HBO. I would have to watch it through my parents' HBO Go. That is more complicated, and so uh, it's not—it's not gonna. It's just also more than anything, especially the HBO shows where they're an, where the hour-long show is an actual hour. It's so long. It's like it I, is so long. You know, and it's like I—I I don't really. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, like it's not like I'm doing awesome stuff all the time, but like I don't really have the. 300 hours or whatever I'm going to need to catch up on Game of Thrones at this point. So it's just, I mean, not 300, but I, I don't know how many seasons they've had, but maybe it's, it's 100 hours, and I'm not putting that in. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that unless it really grabs you right away, it's not going to be worth it. So my question for you is, is there a show that is like a cultural phenomenon uh, like Game of Thrones or something that you just don't understand that you or you just don't think is that good like for me It was Mad Men. I watched a couple of episodes and I was like this is trash. I just don't see the appeal Yeah, I you know I liked I watched the first few episodes of Mad Men and I liked them I thought it was like a little slow and obviously it failed to hook me because I stopped I stopped I didn't continue watching it but mm -hmm. I did think it was good, like the episodes they saw. I was like, yeah, I could see why this is a good show, but not a show that hooked me for whatever reason. I think I need probably, like, I, I'm more towards it being into action and suspense and, and mm -hmm. sci-fi sci and things like that. And, and it was fairly straightforward, like, you know, office drama type thing. And that's, I don't know, that's that's not like the the category most likely to hook me, I think. And so that would be one of them. Uh, Game of Thrones is another one. Uh, and as you may know, I have missed entirely the Harry Potter movie series. Oh, and oh, that's series. right. <laughs> I and now at this point, it's a weird dilemma for me because it's too late to catch up. It's, it's too late. It is. It is. But now it's such a part of our culture that it shows up on Jeopardy all the time. There are references to it all the time that I miss. Like, mm -hmm. there'll be a joke on the Colbert Report where he says something, blah, 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 Gryffindor. And I don't, I don't, I, don't, I know that's a Harry Potter thing. <laughs> but the joke's not funny to me because I don't know what that means. And so I kind of want to... I don't want to be the guy, I mean, like, again, this comes back to, like, being insecure about certain things. Like, I don't want to be the guy on the subway in 2017 reading the first <laughs> Harry Potter book in his mid-30s. But at the same time, I do kind of want to know more stuff about the Harry Potter world just for when it comes up on Jeopardy. I think that you can get away, you don't have to read the books. I think you can get away with just watching the movies. And the movies are such a low investment. Like, you can have it on while you're doing other stuff that you'll you'll be able to understand the silly references Luke and I make in, in work slack. So, yeah, well, then that's not a lot of your time. I feel like it would be like capitulating to Luke, too, to, uh, <laughs> to give in to Harry Potter. Luke goes way back with uh, Harry Potter himself, right? He does. So, he yeah. went to... Middle school with uh, Daniel Radcliffe. Pretty impressive. Pretty, Pretty impressive. impressive. Um, so, but the other part of Charles's question that I just want to hit on. Oh yeah, jumping the shark. Is he, yeah, he mentions that jump the shark, the phrase jump the shark, jump the shark. And I noticed this from uh, early Twitter days. I a couple times used the phrase jump the shark, and everybody like immediately responded <coughs> with like jump the shark, jump the shark. Like that's the obvious joke to make. I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like that expression, and for those unfamiliar, it's like an early internet thing was there was a site called jumptheshark.com. It may still exist in some form now, but it tracked when TV shows essentially got bad. And, and usually, and I think it's a, a very specific thing that happens to TV shows, and it's the same phenomenon we talked about, where when there's no end game in mind, and when a show gets good ratings and it feels like it needs to just continue for the sake of the ratings, eventually you run out of stories within the normal realm of that show, and you have to start right. doing stupid stuff, or stuff that's far off base for the show, to keep people watching. And so the example, the, the term jump the shark, comes from an episode of Happy Days, where Fonzie, I believe wearing a leather jacket and smoking a cigarette while uh, while water skiing 
water skis himself over a shark. He jumps a shark. And so uh, Arrested Development played on that because they had Henry Winkler and, and he when they when they started selling ad time within the episodes uh, and Henry Winkler said like, I just love Burger King and then he jumped over a shark. So, <laughs> uh, so it's sort of been like parodied by now. But I do think that that's like a very real phenomenon that moment and maybe it's not always such like a cut and dry thing but I do think that that is something that happens with TV shows where eventually they just become like, hey, let's make a classic episode of this TV show. Or like, hey, what other wacky things can we do on this TV show to to get to get people to keep watching, to continue the, its run because it's got good ratings, not because we have more stories to tell here. And so I continue to like that term, even though I recognize that people will jump all over you making that exact same joke every time you use it. I will say that I actually had not heard that expression until until recently, and by recently I mean maybe in the last like five or six years, just because I missed whatever window where people were actually using it. Um, <clears throat> so it's still new to me. I would not use it in, I think it still applies, especially to like TV shows and serials, um, but I would not use it in everyday conversation. I feel like it's so such a universal thing that happens that I have even applied it to people. Like, that guy <laughs> I was friends with, and then he jumped the shark. Like, he was like, oh, he was this crazy party guy, and it was fun to hang out with him, and then he went too far. That guy jumped the shark. Yeah, I feel like it's a it's a I feel like it's a perfect term and I don't care if it's old. I love it. I don't still again, I don't use it on the reg, but I appreciate that Charles brought it up because I I don't feel like we just like we can allow one silly joke about use use of jumping the shark, jumping the shark to <laughs> uh ruin what was a very useful term to me. I think it still applies, though. I think maybe we, is there another is there another expression though that would sum up jumping the shark? See, I don't think there's anything we can replace it with. Um, Time Magazine said uh, this is a, from the Jump the Shark Wikipedia page, which is a thing. <laughs> it said that like in in movie sequels, for whatever reason, they use the term nuke the fridge. Um, I oh. believe that's from the, that's a reference to, oh yeah, now it says it in the next one, a reference to the fourth terrible Indiana Jones movie. Oh, and, right, where he um, like hides in a refrigerator or yeah, something. And yeah, and so like that would be the term for when a, a movie series gets too dumb, which certainly happened with Indiana Jones, that was an abomination, and <laughs> uh, and so maybe that, but I just, I, th I think jumping the shark is a great one, I think it's a good term for that. Uh, it, it just, I know what it means. Maybe it's because of when I started reading the internet, but I know what it means, and I feel like, uh, a uh, great example, actually, on the, on the, on the Wikipedia page for Jump the Shark, <laughs> it says, in January 2017, Frankie Boyle, writing in The Guardian about the election of Donald Trump, wrote that, quote, democracy has jumped the shark. <laughs> um, and again, I know exactly what he means by that. I, I do know exactly what he means by that. I would say one of my other favorite like movie criticism terms is fridging, when, and that refers to when you know, a woman, you find a woman who's been like violently murdered, and that gives like the male character his uh, you know, reason for exacting like, uh, the killing spree that he's about to go on. Memento, but it just means that they, the fugitive, there's a bunch. Yeah. yeah, it's just, and you just like fridged her. Like, because I, apparently, I guess it kind of, I, you can Wikipedia it if you want, but it comes from, I guess they found a woman cut up in a fridge and it just happened a lot. So. Uh, yeah, I buy that. Um, that does sound like something that is a useful term. It's um, very we got a couple more. Uh, we'll oh, go wow. Uh, these are both from, well, one is from Gabe Blacks, who's our baseball editor at USA Today Sports, and a friend of ours, a guy who sits quite close to you in the Tyson's office, and with whom I just ate dinner last week in, in Gabe? Tampa. Yeah. You know, Gabe's not in the office a lot these days. Gabe, man, where you been? Um, well, he's got a good question, which is, are you, <laughs> an, are you even a sports fan if you don't get mad about sports. Also, by the way, he's, oh. been, he's been in Florida. I just saw him there. That's where Yeah, I, I imagine he was at spring training. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> but are you even a sports fan if you don't get mad about sports? No. 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 I feel like yes. I feel like I no longer get I used to get so mad about sports. I don't 
I still like sports a lot. I still care. I still follow passionately the sports that I like, and I just they just fail to make me mad anymore. I, what? I, I don't know. Like there'll be little things about it, or like especially parts of like the discussion around sports that make me mad. You know, like the wrong approach to things, sort of like backwards thinking in 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 sports and strategy mm-hmm. things like that. But like ultimately, I don't like. Growing up, it was like I would lose sleep about sports, and maybe this is the perspective gained from this job, or maybe it's just the perspective gained from time and being a, I hope, full-grown man. That I just, it just, like if if a team I'm rooting for loses a game, I'll be upset or not even upset, just like mildly disappointed for ten minutes, and then it's like, what's for dinner? I think, well, mad, so I would say that if you don't get emotional about sports, uh, you're not a sports fan. I get very, I get very anxious about sports. So, like, while the game is going on, and that's, that's, I think, the appeal to me, is, like, Mm -hmm. you, I just get so sucked into it that then, like, I'm chewing on my finger, I'm pacing around the room, like, I do get worked up while it's happening, but then the game ends, and I can cut it off. Uh, it takes me a little bit of time to be able to cut it off. There have definitely been, and it doesn't happen as much as it used to. Like there, like you said, like there used to be, you know, losses that were like devastating to me, and it would be hard to go to sleep and like function the next day. Um, that doesn't happen that often, but I will still get mad uh, about sports. Like if I had been watching the Super Bowl and I only caught the tail end of it because I was in India, I was still pretty mad about that Super Bowl. That was a pretty maddening Super Bowl. Yeah. I would say, like, when I was seven years old, 1988, and Ron Darling got lit up in a in a playoff series against the Do- Dodgers, <clears throat> and the Mets would not advance to the World Series. It was, like, the first time I ever followed a sports team closely. I was seven years old, like I said. Mm-hmm. I, for whatever reason, I punished myself by sleeping, <laughs> by sleeping on the floor of my bedroom, refusing to sleep in my bed because, like, I wanted, for whatever reason, to, like, endure the pain that I was now assigning to wow. to Ron Darling, my future co-worker. You were such a masochist <laughs> at seven. Yeah, it was just like, and like I was just laying on the ground and I think my dad came in like, what are you doing? And I was like, I hate Ron Darling. <laughs> um, I was so, I was probably a little bit older than you, but I think it was, uh, might have been 1989, 1990 when Joe Montana, the 49ers, lost to the Dallas Cowboys in like quarterfinal playoffs of NFL playoffs. Uh, it might have been 89. And I stopped watching football for like seven years. Like I was so devastated that I could not watch any more football. Like I was just done. Like that was so upsetting to me. Why? You were really into Joe Montana? Like that was. I, your, that was we were. We, when we grew up, we, uh, when we first came to America, we moved around a lot, and we spent some time in Oakland, so, like, we were big 49ers fans for, for whatever reason, um, and then we had moved to Virginia. The the Raiders were in L.A. at that point, probably, Yeah, so, yeah, so it was the San Francisco 49ers, um, and we, and that love has just, like, carried, like, throughout my entire life. Like, the 49ers will always be my football team. All right, well, that's good. You don't want to be a Redskins fan. No, I don't want to be a Redskins fan, so. Uh, last one comes from Nina, um, who is our, our boss, our editor. She wants to know, what was the best sandwich you ate during spring training so far? Hemel, what was <laughs> the best sandwich you ate during spring training so far? I don't, you know, I don't think I've had any sandwiches. I think that's a very specific question to you. You were out on the road. It does feel like a question to me. I yeah. had, I would say I had a bunch of pretty good sandwiches. I didn't have any sandwich where it was like, that blew my mind, and I need to sing its praises. I had a really good torta in Orlando at a place that obviously used to be a Checkers and had now turned into a torta place. I find the uh, reconstructed fast food architecture like a very interesting uh, phenomenon as well, just like that you can have this thing that's like, it's clearly a Checkers, and now you've got really good, like, homemade tortas coming from people who know how to make tortas. And that was a really good sandwich. That was probably the best one. I had several... What is a torta? Oh, it's a, it's like a Mexican sandwich. It's just, it's oh. just, um, the bread they use is like a, a, a soft sort of, uh, typically, I think, like, homemade, it's a Mexican style of roll. Uh, and it usually has, like, these had, this had, um, 
this doesn't appeal to you, but it had a piece of like thinly uh, sliced breaded steak on it, as well as like beans, avocado, lettuce, tomato, white cheese. Um, you know, it's it's sort of a big mess of a sandwich, and it's really good. Um, there are vegetarian options. You could just get it. Honestly, the beef was so thin in this case that you could have just taken it off and had a vegetable sandwich, and it still would have been really good. But, Sounds good. Yeah, it's it's a it's a good sandwich. Um, I also had multiple Cuban sandwiches, which got their start actually in the Tampa area. People uh, believe that they were born in Cuba or born in Miami. They were born of Cuban immigrants in Tampa. That's a good sandwich. So that again, for you're probably not eating a lot of Cuban sandwiches because meat is a big part of them. It's like ham, pork, cheese, pickles. Uh, often lettuce, mayo, and mustard. To me, I like a Cuban sandwich. I find that, uh, for the most part, they are just too salty, and I want like a little bit of balance there that doesn't tend to come from a Cuban sandwich. It's good. Mm -hmm. I will keep eating them, but uh, I don't, like, it's not like a, in terms of, like, standard sandwiches, that's not one that, where it's like, this is an amazing variety of sandwich that I want to eat every time. I just think it's like, it's, it's a little bit too towards the salty side of the spectrum. And it always makes me wonder, things like that always make me wonder, this is a, a half half hocked theory or whatever, but sometimes half -baked. I half-baked theory. I Sometimes I feel like places where there's a lot of salt in the air because they're near the ocean, like maybe people just have a higher tolerance for salt in their foods. But then I'm from Long Island, which is near the ocean, and I'm the one complaining about the salt. So I can't really bear out that theory. Yeah, it sounds like you had a lot of good food, though. I ate a lot of good food. I mean, you also eat a lot of just disgusting food and a lot of fast food and a lot of, like, sort of on-the-run breakfast. There's, in Florida, for spring training, there's just so much driving. So, so much of everything you have to do has to happen in the car. So, like, by the time I cleaned out my rental car before turning it in, there was just, like, an absolutely filthy amount of fast food bags in there. Oh, man, go eat a salad, Ted. I know you hate salads, but take care of your heart, please. Uh, I will. I will. I will do my best. We, I, eat, I tend to eat healthier when I get home, especially immediately after trips, just for that very reason, because eventually my body is like, stop this. And so I get to that point typically late in a spring training trip. That's cool. All right, that's all we got. Um, you can check us out on, we're on Stitcher and on SoundCloud and hopefully soon again on iTunes. You can rate us and review us there when we are and we will appreciate it. And thanks for sticking with it. Uh, thanks for all the questions and Hemel, thanks as always for joining me. Thanks for having me.